Welcome to another episode of A Sip of Crime. We are your hosts. See, today, I'm saying we because I'm spe- I feel like speaking French today. You know, we are your hosts, you know. Mac- we. <laughs> <laughs> Mac Attack, you know, and the homie Noah. Yeah, what's Doa. up? You know, we out here. Sipping on our wine. Sipping on wine and got some basketball in the background. But now I'm going to set a scene for you. Since last week, you know, was a little heavier. Oh, yeah. We got to take a step back. So we decided, you know, to lighten it up for you guys. Just like give give you some comic relief in a way. Because like I feel like this one, this one's a comic relief, right? Mm-hmm. So let me paint a scene for you, Noah. Imagine yourself like you get an email, right? And it okay. says... Hey, big party, big festival, mm. right? Big festival. Uh, there's gonna be models there. Ooh. It's on a private island. Oh, and there's yachts. Oh, you get shit. a suite and you get food. Wow, all of that, bro. Wristbands, drinks are plenty, and wow. you get to like walk around the resort. And freaking the biggest names of cele- the artists are out there performing. Yo, that's a dream come festival. true. What the heck, right? And and they like it doesn't cost you that much money, maybe a couple hundred dollars, right? Yeah. To go to a private island to party, bro. Bro, sign me the fuck up. That sounds dope. Now imagine all that. You get there, none of that shit exists. What? What do you mean it doesn't exist? What do you mean it doesn't exist? <laughs> oh man, we're gonna we're talking about a Ponzi <laughs> scheme right now. So, basically, let's just say, I'm the I'm the auditor of the party, mm-hmm. right? I'm the one hosting, and then I'm nowhere to be found. I can't give you any answers of what what you're asking me, right? And, you know, most of the times when people hear about Ponzi schemes, they think about Bernie Madoff. No, we're not talking about Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff is an old guy. Like, yes, he robbed the older generation of a few million dollars. (laughs) He has a few million hidden in the keys. Hey, don't sue me. I don't have a lawyer. Um, (laughs) But, no, we're talking about William Billy McFarland. Bro. What is he known for? Man, he is known for the failure of the fire festival, right? Yes. You can call it a fire disaster, whatever you want to call it. So let's get into Billy McFarland. And of course, as we usually do, we got to throw a little background information on the person that we're talking about today. And so Billy grew up in Milburn, New Jersey. Um, Parents were in real estate. I guess you could say he kind of had like a a normal childhood, nothing too excessive as far as like there's no history of crimes, you know, two-parent household. There wasn't a lot going on that we could find research-wise on mm-hmm. Billy McFarland. However, it did make a note that when he was 13 years old, he admitted to, like, a, I think it was the New York Times, that he founded an online outsourcing startup. So this kid was a smart kid. Right. He went to Bucknell University out of high school for computer uh, engineering, mm-hmm. but he dropped out by his freshman year. So I think that was, like, maybe the one red flag of his early childhood or early, like, adolescence. But right. for the most part, clean cut, like, never had any big problems with the law, nothing, like... It's too significant. Even the 13-year-old startup, or the startup that he had when he was 13 years old, there was no scandal with that. It was just a startup. Eventually got bought out by a bigger company, and that was it, you know? Imagine, like, being 13 years old and having a startup that, that does outsourcing to um, for, rent, for, for companies, really, because that's what he did. Like, he just set you up and made sure you were able to connect with who you needed to connect with. Yeah. That's pretty much what that, that business was for. Now, imagine you being 13 years old and doing all that. That that in itself is impressive. You know what I was doing at 13? I don't fucking know what I was doing <laughs> at 13. I think I was riding bikes and scraping my knees that and stuff. Trying to, right. Yeah, trying to do some tricks. Eating and being, a, girls. being dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I was middle school age, you middle know, school, middle school times. Yeah. Times were simpler, you know? Yeah. If you liked a girl, you like punched her in the shoulder and 
then you know she punched you in the shoulder back you guys were they don't do that anymore i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah from from what we found like he had a pretty normal childhood you know nothing too crazy aside from him dropping out of school but i think it was because like his intellectual like were, they were out there right yeah. he was so smart he knew like what he wanted to do how he wanted to go about doing it mm-hmm. and so he did it he yeah. dropped out and he went into business and that's when he founded Magnesis, Magnesis, yeah. right? Magnesis. Magnesis. And for those of you who don't know, Magnesis is like a, an exclusive club for millennials. Mm-hmm. And it's a black card cut, you know, like for the rich folks. Yeah. The rich preppy uh, people who live in uptown New York, you know, Manhattan. People you know. who had money. Yeah, if you, if you had the money, you could flaunt it. That's, yeah. that's what it looked like, right? Yeah, because a lot of like credit card companies have their exclusive deal, right? And that's what their goal was to kind of compete with Capital One's black card. It was like a heavier. It was actually made out of metal. But the thing was, it wasn't that it's actually owned card. It, I we were doing the research. They had the uh, what do they call it? The Magnus stripe. Mm-hmm. It was the same strip as like the owners real credit cards mm-hmm. whether it was from wells fargo or bank of america or chase they were copied the same magnus strip and you just had a different card the only difference with that card is if you got like if you spend on different places then you get certain rewards you were allowed to enter like certain clubs and exclusive mm-hmm. you know parties and exclusive like out outing events i guess you could say with that card but for the most part it wasn't like its own bank or it wasn't its own right. thing it just happened to be a, a trendy thing for millennials and this is Something that is a history with Billy McFarland is he's always targeting millennials. And I think, I mean, he is a millennial himself, but like he's, I don't know if he has something against millennials, but he's always targeting them. But it, it was interesting how <clears throat> the card itself, like, you know, it, 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 it gave him so much openings, right? Because he right. started doing these these wine and dine kind of things, like little events that he would plan out just to bring people in and introduce them to the culture yeah hey like this is what you do if you invest such and such into this and this right but i remember last week we vividly and i mean vividly touch on somebody who shared a birthday with yeah we talked about and that person decided to join (laughs) in business with him right Mm -hmm. and who are we talking about here we're talking about ja rule ja Ja rule started partnering (laughs) up with billy mcfarland while he had this magnesis uh, company going on and he was like sometimes the special appearance right or right. the person that would perform that night at these exclusive events mm-hmm. or at these clubs and stuff like that so they got into business together it's worth mentioning though too i think one of the first red flags that you can kind of identify when doing research on billy mcfarland is that he reported that magnesis was a million dollar company a right. multi-million dollar company Six hundred thousand. yeah however they were only hitting which is still good i'm not going to take anything away from that right but you know the fact that he's lying about to other people, especially investors, right? right? Investors is where the real money comes from, that you can really get your startup from, you know, point A to point B to where like a Google or Amazon is now. Right. However, he would lie to other investors saying that we're a multi-million dollar company when they're only making a hundred thousand dollars, a few hundred thousand dollars. Right. And like, that is, yeah, like you said, red flag, you know, but people didn't know better. They, yeah. they, at that point, you know, they, they all they're hearing about is Magnesis. Magnesis on the news, on the, the stock channels and all of that. Like, you're hearing Magnesis. Mm-hmm. So, the idea just sticks in your head. And he was the face of it, literally. Like, mo- a lot of times when people are trying to start their own company, they find somebody to be, like, the face of the company. Mm-hmm. It was him. <clears throat> he was out there, you know, doing interviews, everything, and pushing it. Like, I mean, 
if you're trying to get your business out there to everybody, I think that's a smart way to go. Right. Because if you could sell yourself, you could sell anything. Mm -hmm. Right. But that was a smart way. But after that, I don't know. Ja Rule said, you know what? Let's go into business with this guy. Yeah. yeah let's start Let's start making some money because, you know, he's a smart guy. You know yeah. what he said? He's a smart guy. Really smart guy. And I think what we, it's going to be an ongoing theme in this episode. Billy McFarland talked well. I think so. You, we all kind of know people who are really smooth talkers, mm -hmm. but sometimes they don't always back up what they're going to say, right? And this is what Billy McFarland is. He's a hustler. He's a, you know, he just comes from a different background and he was doing it with millions and millions of dollars instead of just, you know, on a street corner or, you know, in a casino kind of setting. But um, yeah, Magnesis, I, towards the end of Magnesis and its run, people were starting to understand that or realize that these credit card members or the exclusive card members, they were having a lot of their reservations get canceled. And so, but they weren't getting any refunds for it. So like they would show up to an event and then all of a sudden the reservation wasn't there. So they're starting to get a lot of negative re reviews towards the end, but there still wasn't a lot of like lawsuits or stuff towards Magnesis or towards Billy McFarlane that really kind of generated enough buzz. But I think the reason too, like there wasn't anything was because they, remember they created the app, mm -hmm. that Magnesis app to allow people to book reservations. Mm -hmm. If you guys, you guys can't see me, but I'm using air quotes here, you know, to, to book reservations or whatever the case that, so then they started blaming it on the app. The mm -hmm. app was glitching. Yeah. You know, so they started blaming all of that. So that's why these people like, they didn't have an uh, uproar. Cause I'm pretty sure like if you're messing with my money, I'm not just having an uproar. I'm burning everything you own down. Right. But that's just me. But everybody else is different. Yeah. So then he decides, you know what? Me and Ja Rule, we're cool. You know, we chilling. We big chilling. How about we do a festival? Yeah. Before the festival, though, too, they had the company, right? Fire. Fire. Fire Media, which was kind of similar to Magnesis in the sense that there were the goal for Fire was to basically be able to book celebrities, models, athletes to come either speak at your event, perform at your birthday party, do a wedding, all that kind of good stuff. And it was supposed to make it easy, affordable for you. And that was the whole, the whole, the festival was, a, a, it was a plan to kind of market it and right. put people on to fire and understand what it's about. The story behind that I thought was fascinating with the way like, um, Ja Rule and, um, Will, a uh, Bill, they met like, so basically Bill went and asked one friend yeah. for to get Ja Rule for, for a party. Mm -hmm. And that one friend charged him, what, $500? Yep. And then another friend said, no, we'll charge you a, I'll charge you 1000 to get you Ja Rule. Right. And they still didn't get Ja Rule. No, I know. You paid $1,500. So the concept is cool. Don't get me wrong because it avoids all the middlemen and the scammers that are trying to scam people out of money right. for performance and stuff like that. But the execution was lacking. Right. And it definitely with the festival, bro. Oh. We we talk we usually the stuff that we talk about has a Netflix or Hulu show. There's two great documentaries, one on Netflix and one on Hulu. Definitely recommend you guys go check it out because it highlights all the ins and outs that we're about to highlight too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in greater depth about the fire festival and the mishaps that, you know, went into the planning. Trust me, if you see that documentary <laughs> I promise you, you probably you'll be upset. Oh hell yeah! After seeing that, I was like, I want to punch this dude in the face. Give I me mean, your chin. I want to go to the. I wanted to go to the Bahamas and just to visit that area and just be like, all right, man. Couple <laughs> bows to the throat. But you know that's a different story for a couple minutes from now. Yeah. <laughs> but so then you know after they started the, the fire thing, they're like, all right, let's get our promotion started. So they vis visited the Pablo Escobar um, island. island. Right, which if you guys don't know who Pablo Escobar is, he's a notorious drug lord, mm -hmm. you know, who ruled with an iron fist in Colombia. Yeah. Well, actually, he ruled 
around the world in, in many ways because he had U.S. officials working for him. Mm-hmm. He had, um, what's that guy's name? Uh, Ali Short uh, and Noriega. Mm-hmm. He had all of those people working for him. And I'm talking about like a whole like country who wanted supply. If you want supply, you do what the man who's supplying you. Asked yeah. For, right. So Pablo Escobar. Filthy rich. He still has millions and millions buried in Colombia somewhere. Do not go looking for him. There's landmines. Um, <laughs> that's what I was told. But he had a private island, right? And that island is gorgeous. When I say gorgeous, like you got an underground cave that turns into a little pool and stuff. Like it's, it's most, exclusive. Most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Well, you probably have ever seen. I mean, I don't know. I've never. I don't see shit like that all the time because <laughs> I'm on listening TV. But for those people who like looking at travel destination places, whether it's on Instagram, Pinterest, or just any other website, I mean, this is like the top of the spot. Right? Right. You know what I mean? Like this is, you know, the Bahamas are already a recognizable place for being really pretty. But this was like one of the more desirable islands. I believe there's the pigs on the islands too, mm-hmm. correct? So like. There's a bunch of different subsections. Water is beautiful. Blue the whole water. scenery was incredible. Yeah. And they thought, hey, let's try and throw a festival here. Yeah. And then, so one of the owner of the island, mm-hmm. the new owner of the island, even though it's still a name, it's still a Pablo Escobar Island. Yeah. So technically, he owns it. But the new owner who purchased it after Pablo died um, said, all right, we'll allow you to do your festival here, right? Mm-hmm. Only if you don't use the name Pablo Escobar. Right. They don't want to mention it because obviously, look, Pablo Escobar, it's another conversation for another podcast, but like well-known criminal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it taints your legacy, whether it's an island or we, you know, there's that documentary that we were watching together, the Cecil Hotel. Mm-hmm. You I mean, you don't want to maybe mention certain people that were there because it kind of taints the legacy of that right. hotel or of that island and so on and so forth. So I can see why he was doing it. It seems like a simple request too, but... They screwed up and they were like, nah, we're still gonna we're gonna still record all our footage there. We're gonna have a great big party with a bunch of IG models like Oof. Bella Hadid. Oof. Uh I'm throwing John a blank of her name, Kendall Jenner, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other IG models. Basically like ten of the top IG models that are on Instagram. And a few other people like videographers, John Rule was obviously there. P- Billy the McFarlane pigs, don't forget the pigs. Oh, and the pigs, and the, the pigs, pigs. The, the stars of the commercial. The stars, yeah. <laughs> but basically, they had a big-ass party. They took a lot of B-roll footage and threw that onto the commercial for this festival. But they did mention Pablo Escobar. Right. So as soon as they mentioned it, the island owner was like, nah, get you out of here. We gotta, here. We got to find you a new island. Yeah, so, and then they go into this little, little small, quaint area, and... They, they, they reserve a little section, right? Because it's a area that they're building for new homeowners. Yeah. Like, it's going to be, like, an exclusive area as well, but it hasn't fully... De- it wasn't fully developed yet. Mm-hmm. It was still, like, in the marketing aspects of it. Like, you know, hey, buy here, build a home for your family right. kind of shit. Yeah. But then they're like, all right, it looks good enough. Let's rent the motherfucker. But he said he bought an island for $8 million. Yes. He said he bought an island when it was really just a piece of a much larger island in the Bahama chain. And it's also worth mentioning, too, this festival is planned out and advertised it's going to be in April. Right. This is all going down, guess what, in like November, the previous November, December. They're trying to scramble all this together with only five, six months to spare. And for those of you who may not know, because I don't know personally what it takes. Yeah, what it takes to actually, you know put together a festival and get all the equipment, all the bathrooms, all the food, all that shit taken care of because it's a, you know, a weekend 
type of event. So you can't just, you know, have people show up and then expect them to leave. No, they had to stay overnight. You were flying people because it is an island. You were flying people into that and then you had to fly them back out. So it's a, it's a whole setup and they're trying to do this in like five or six months period. I'm going to correct you a little bit. You do know what it takes to to build something <laughs> like that because when we do parties for the organization we work for, the True. little events, yeah. we get a month yeah, yeah. To try right. to make everything fucking float, <laughs> and uh, I don't somehow, some way, we make it work. True, right? You're right. But in that case, with a bigger, grander like venue like this, like shit, like you have to take into consideration um, sleeping habits, which we're gonna talk about. <laughs> uh, um, food, <laughs> we're gonna talk about that too. <laughs> um, water, all of that. Like you gotta take all that into consideration. Flights for the people. All of that, right? Mm-hmm. And the way everything transpired was just like you have, you see, like you said, November, December, right? Late November, early December. They're starting to plan all of this out. Yeah. They hire this event planner to help run it. They have the social media people pushing. And the one of the things that got me was how he was promoting stuff that he didn't al- he didn't have already. Yeah. So this is this is where it goes to where like. You know how people say dream big? And it's cool to dream big. I'm not saying the listener to not dream big. But if you're going to dream big, have a plan before you advertise to other people about your dream. You right. know what I'm saying? It, it just seemed like everything was, you know, it, it was a cool idea. Like I said, the if you were to watch the actual footage of the commercial, it looks fucking dope. Mm-hmm. And it's a great idea. But this is something that, you know, like probably realistically probably should have taken like a year or two maybe even three years of planning to actually make it, make sure it was done right. Because like you said in the beginning, not only was it a private island, mm-hmm. it was a bunch going to be a bunch of, you know, models that were there. It was going to be an exclusive, but you're going to get private cooks cooking food. You're going to have like these little villas and like the best way to describe a villa is like, like a fancy patio area with like, you know, beds and stuff to sleep in. That's where people would, you know, if you've ever gone to Vegas, if you ever rented a cabana, that's what it almost like. It's almost yeah. Like that. Yeah. Pretty much like that. Then. Yeah. And then, but there was like levels to it too, because yeah. there was a general admission and you can get the, just the general basic villa. But if you know, you and your friends were feeling lavish. Cause like I said, this was all targeted towards like the very high end millennials. Right. Right. So I, I, I mean, honestly, when this happened, I didn't even hear about it. I didn't catch it because it wasn't targeted for people we like us. Yeah, exactly. We're at the we bottom broke. of the food chain, unfortunately. <laughs> But, you know, all these wealthy millennials who come in from, like, you know, family of wealth and stuff like that, they're like, oh, like, this looks dope. And there was different packages where I think one package was, like, for 20 grand almost, you can get, like, this exclusive tent that had, a, you know, more beds and, like, was good for, like, five to ten people mm-hmm. and would have, exclude, like, your own private chef. You can also, uh, I believe, rent a yacht and, like, a yacht would have your own exclusive chef. So, man, there was a lot of promises that went into it. But there wasn't a whole lot of, like, backing on those promises. Mm-hmm. And they were starting to advertise this stuff before they had everything locked in. So, before we move into that general, like, traffic area, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to go into, like, a little bit into how they go into the island. Mm-hmm. They hire not one, but 200 workers. Yeah. To build everything, almost from the ground up, really. Because in the Bahamas, like, it's hard to get things trans- shipped over. So everything that they have, they're building, right? And think and, about we're we're talking about everything. Yeah. Sages, tents. Tents, everything. The only thing that pretty much was shipped over was the mattresses and the covers for the tents. Right. But but those were like hurricane tents because like those are the ones that the people after they had, I think they had just experienced a hurricane like mm-hmm. not too long ago. Mm-hmm. So they they used those same exact tent layering and everything to cover that up. But like. <laughs> 
what goes into a person's mind to to plan all of this in two to three months, hire all these people and not pay any of them? Mm-hmm. Fucking bullshit, bro. And this is what what sucks too is when you watch the documentary, they talk about how a lot of the locals who were kind of put in charge of the other lo- local Bahamians, would you call them Bahamians? Bahamians. Bahamians. Yeah. They, this was supposed to be a five-year contract. This mm-hmm. was supposed to be a festival that went on for five years. And, you know, they interviewed the actual people who were put in charge. And there was a lot of, like, kind of, you know, there was a lot of optimism around this festival because this would bring in a lot of money to the islands and mm-hmm. hopefully uplift the co- economy. Because, you know, yeah, it's a good travel destination, but for the most part, it's still, like, a very poor community right. and a poor, right. very poor area. So this was supposed to help uplift that. However, it just, it didn't work out that way, obviously. And I like think about all the, like I said, all those people who had a bunch of optimism, a bunch of hope for kind of turning not only their island around, but their lives around and their livelihood around. All broken promises, bro. And it's funny, like this, this, there's a, a saying this lady said, she said it the best to me. Like she said, the way Billy went on the island hiring folks, he said, if you could lift a towel, yep. then you could work. Right, and that lady, mind you, she owns a restaurant, and she had to feed all those two hundred plus folks mm-hmm. that were working around the clock, twenty four seven. Some, you know, like building everything just to make sure everything was prepped and ready for the festival. Yeah. Right, and they bought sand. <laughs> Who buys sand to cover a beach that you met you supposedly own already? Right. That's what I'm saying, bro. <laughs> like this was this was so bad from the get go. I mean, this was like. Like one error after another error after another mismanagement after another mishap. It was it was crazy. Like I I can't believe that it actually got to the point where people flew in there. Like there's so many times when you're watching the documentary and you're hearing the story and you're just thinking like, why didn't he pull out? Like it would have been, I don't. It wouldn't have been fine and sure people would have been upset. But like if you would have said, hey, like we're not ready yet. Like give us another four months. Mm-hmm. Sure people would have been initially upset, but then like maybe you could have had more time to plan things better. And then you could have done a better one. Exactly. You could have done a better one and, and actually pay people. And we're talking about the people of the Bahamas that didn't get paid, but there's also two after a certain point, this was closer. Obviously I believe there was already like a month left before the April festival destination. A lot of the employees for fire media weren't getting paid mm-hmm. or they were getting paid less than the actual full amount. So the whole cash flow, cause they were spending, 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 spending like crazy on the advertising, on the marketing. However, they weren't making actually a lot of money to overcome that and pay all the people that they were. There's know. a story behind that, mm-hmm. but we're, we'll get into all that yeah. later. But basically though, he would charge the fan, the people who wanted to come to the festival mm-hmm. for wristbands. Yeah. And then he'd tell them, hey, some people have three, $4,000 on their wristbands. Why do you only have a thousand? Yeah. You know, how are you going to get drinks or food? Like, but I thought this was all included. That's mm-hmm. why I fucking paid you to get here. Yeah. You know, but like the, <laughs> that's blind, literally robbing the blind to feed and well, not to feed the homeless because he wasn't homeless because he was to feed his own ego. Really. Yeah. Robbing the blind to feed his ego because he, when he was planning everything, his employees would warn him. They would be like, hey, man, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. Like, that's going to fuck with so much. He's like. Thanks for the advice, bro. Yeah, appreciate and they push you. him away. Yeah, appreciate you. Yeah, I, I think the one that was uh, alarming to me, and I believe it was the first one he kind of pushed away, was the uh, pilot, right, who was, like, native to the Bahamas, and he, like, knew the area really well. And he was talking about how, you know, to have 100-plus members, or not even 100-plus, 1,000-plus people come to this festival and expect them to sleep on this part of the island was unrealistic. And he kept suggesting, hey, like, 
let's get a cruise ship. They sleep on the cruise ship, and then we can get them off to the island for the festival and stuff. But there's just not enough room to put all these tents. However, they, you know, that was the first guy Billy kind of pushed away and was like, nah, like, we're going to do the tents. Like, that's not an option for the cruise ship. And, you know, sure enough, the pilot walked away. But it was just like, I think to me while watching that, that was like the biggest red flag, you know? Let's talk about the tents, though. <laughs> the night before people started showing up, it poured cats and dogs. Oh, yes. And this is another thing that goes into the planning. April, while it's like nice here in California, it might be nice in some other areas. Mm-hmm. In Bahamas, that's like, what, hurricane season, right? Hurricane and it's season. just a lot of like... Hurricane rain season. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all those tents, mattresses got wet. Mm-hmm. I bet you it probably stunk too, like fuck. <laughs> and, and like I said, this is camping. So, there's no AC. There's no... No. There was a big mosquito problem out there too because mm-hmm. it's an island. It's near the equator. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of humidity. Oh, it's just going to draw a lot of mosquitoes. Oh, especially, I know about the mosquitoes. <laughs> and all those, you know, white millennials, bro, they... They're beginning attacked hard, you know what I'm saying? They got that juicy, sweet blood. I'm going to tell you guys now, uh, for those of you who don't know, I am Haitian, full-blown Haitian. Mm-hmm. Born in, I was born in the U.S., but I grew up in Haiti, right? Mm-hmm. So Haiti, Bahamas, they're islands that are, you know, hurricane, mosquitoes, famish, you know, like we, we deal with all those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever an opportunity presents itself to make some money and be able to provide for your family, they're going to jump on it and they're going to find a way. So they, they try to find a way to, you know, wring out the mattresses and stuff and try to help those make sure everything looked nice. It didn't pan out. Yeah. And, and it was crazy. Yeah. And it was crazy, too. Is like you mentioned the people like showing up the day before. There was a lot of cancellations, too, from the major artists because mm-hmm. they weren't getting paid, too. Major laser. Yeah. For a lot of these artists, you have to pay like a booking fee mm-hmm. and then have to pay them after, right? After mm-hmm. the performance. So it's kind of like a half and half thing or sometimes even more payments than that but there's a lot of artists that were dropping off and they still went along with this plan they still thought that they could accomplish this and, and had some sort of fighting chance to do it but it just man they were they were wrong in so many different ways there was a name that was thrown out there that kind of i was like wait what, what was that name thrown out drake. drake drake was supposed to be at that festival yeah millennials are fucking dumb hey guys i'm a millennial too but we don't <laughs> we're fucking dumb sometimes we are we're I think, <laughs> not even that we're dumb i think we're very gullible I think that that could like we still have a not all of us but I think in deep down some of us have a very innocent view of the world mm-hmm. so we could just be very gullible you that's know true. That's yeah true. and I think he prayed on that you know what yeah. I mean and we talked about in Magnesis but he did a very similar thing here in you know the fire festival like uh, I'm jumping a little bit into psychological aspect I'm in no way shape or form a psychologist right mm-hmm. but imagine this like maybe he's praying on something he felt when he was you know, like, because he's a millennial himself. So maybe somebody preyed on, on him a little bit. Like, they took advantage of something that he had or, or you know, what have you. And then, so he used, utilized that experience yeah, and made it his own. Mm-hmm. And he, like, modified it to, you know, take money out of other people's pockets. Right. You know? I mean, shit. If I can get somebody to give me $3,000 for a damn wristband, <laughs> I'm doing something right. Right. And then... So we go into the people getting there. First off, the <laughs> flying out to Bahamas was he promised them a jet life experience. Yes. A jet experience. Imagine yourself on a private jet, guys. Ooh. I wouldn't even know what to imagine. Ooh. I promise if I'm with my girl, <laughs> she having my babies. <laughs> but no, they're on a almost like a Boeing <laughs> 787 and full of people and they're flying to the Bahamas. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> And the, like I said, this is all 
these are all really wealthy people that are going to the festival too. Like I said, for someone like us, I think who cares? We're going to the Bahamas. Like, right, I don't shit. care if it's I'm coach or whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? But this is again, this is the empty promises that we keep talking about, and this is like a higher class clientele that he was able to bamboozle like this. Right, but they, the people paid for that experience. Yes, they so, paid for it. First and foremost, like we were talking about red flags. The moment you got on that flight, that should have been another red flag. You mm. should have, I mean, you can't, I mean, at this point, you can't cancel, mm-hmm. right? But shit, that should have been the first, another, or another fucking red flag. Yeah. You know? And then they go, the people get there. <laughs> we, we were talking about the food. Oh, <laughs> bro, the food. the food. Well, we, I mean, should we talk about the arrival or the food first? <laughs> Let's go to the arrival. And then yeah, the because, you know, the people land and then they get bussed over because, like I said. School bus. School buses. <laughs> There's no private bus. There's no private charter, anything. No luxury limos. They're getting school bussed over to this part of the island. And then they show up and then they see these hurricane-type tents. And, like you said, it was a rainstorm. It was super windy, like, this time of the year. So, a lot of them are janked up. Like, a lot of, like, have you ever seen a, a umbrella flip inside yeah. out? Or even, like, the canopies, the easy-ups yeah. on the four pegs. Sometimes those will get flipped, flipped up, too, up, when it yep. really winds. That's kind of like what a lot of the tents were. So, a yeah. lot of the tents weren't even standing or structured the right way because of the wind and the rain from the previous week. And, and bro, the food. The food, man. Power to social media because we were able to see this stuff without having to be there but bro the food all i'm saying before we get into the, the exact food that he served them all i'm saying if this happened like before the era of social media he would have gotten away with it yeah yeah because it would have just been word of mouth and people would have been like nah we don't believe yeah, you. yeah we don't like, believe you son of a biscuit <laughs> you just don't like him yeah you just being picky <laughs> but what, what were they eating bro <laughs> bro so they were promised remember the promises again the broken promises they were promised Gourmet food from private chefs. Exclusive meals. Exclusivity. But they got cheese on bread. <laughs> With a little lettuce on the side. And not even melted cheese. Bro, like, if you gotta give me a grilled cheese, okay. You know, put some butter on it. Nah. This was just cheese, bread, lettuce. Damn, that's like, I'm not that broke. I wouldn't <laughs> eat that shit. Bro, there's, oh my goodness. And <laughs> this is not something, like, to also, like, put you in the people's shoes that were went, uh, went to this festival. Because most festivals, you know, if you don't like it or you're really not feeling uh, good, having a good time, you can just hop in your car and drive away. Drive off, right. They're in a lo- island. Like, you can't... You're like, stuck. they flew there. You know what I mean? Like they, and then they bust to that part of the island. So it's not like you could just walk out and then try and find your way back. Like, that's going to be a whole-ass mission. Like, these people are stuck with bad, you know, uh, bad... What do you call it? Like, bad tents uh-huh. and then bad food. And you're kind of stuck there until the festival is quote unquote over. And the thing is, they only had one way tickets. Yeah. So they couldn't go nowhere even if they tried. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we talk about the food, like that. That's disgusting. But they didn't have no water, right? Yeah. So the, that's another thing. The guy that that ran the island blocked off the water. Mm-hmm. And there's a story. If you guys watch the Netflix docu- uh, docu- documentary, it's an hour and some change. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think his name is Gary. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. Uh, I'm horrible with certain with documentary people names, but apparently, according to him, Bill walked up to him and asked him to take an L for the team, mm-hmm. and asked him to go ask the guy, you know, tell the guy that he'll suck it, suck him up. Oh to, my goodness! To give him, in order for him to let the water run, but the guy was like, "Man, nah, man, you don't need to do all that. Like, well, I'll let the water run. He just gotta pay me. Yeah, he just wasn't getting paid. Right? We we'll yeah. go back to the whole payment thing again. Right? Mm-hmm. So then the people did they. they 
finally got water and then the, the luggage just show up in the in fucking containers you know the x the, the, what they call um the metal containers what they call them uh cargo yeah the cargo containers yeah so they call, the all the luggages come and those they don't have any tagging on them, uh-huh. so people can't don't know what bag is theirs. So they're just grabbing shit and trying to dip. And then he said, "All right, tents are open, <laughs> free for all." <laughs> so people are trying to get the front tents. Yes, that's intense, bro. That's so bad. I mean, God, like, like I said, we we were able to kind of experience this because a lot of these people who were in attendance of the festival were posting a lot of videos, and this is really what made it viral. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was like, you know, they they had wanted to have want, you know, Billy McFarland, Ja Rule ultimately wanted this fire festival to bring fire media attention Mm -hmm. and it did but however in a very 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 unsuccessful way way, very negative way in uh, a way that they're going to pay for you know for the future right and it was so messed up like the way everything transpired after that right because they they did they they told the people they'd give them private this private that private this so like you said broken promises all these broken promises and at the end, all it took was a, a cheese sandwich to ruin everything. Yeah, cheese sandwich, bro. Over the top. Not yeah. even melted cheese. Give me some melted cheese, and bro. The, one of the little salad containers. Yeah. <laughs> so all it took was for that to ruin the whole the whole thing. I mean, the festival itself was already fucked. Yes. Right? And they even tried to con- like you know compare it to Woodstock. Like Woodstock, like people were stuck out there for days. Yeah. Like they were, those were people, those, that was the 60s. <laughs> 60s people didn't give a fuck about a damn thing. They just nah. wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them were on LSD <laughs> or, you know, smoking a lot of reefer. Like they were doing their thing. Like they didn't give a fuck if they had no food or water. There was a lot of overdose too. Yeah. Talk, that, that, that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> but they try to compare it to Woodstock, which in no way, shape, or form was the same thing. Yeah. Because Woodstock didn't make any promises. They just told people, come out. Yeah, have we fun. got music. Have yeah, fun. We got, we got music and we got drugs. It's going to be low budget. Yeah. yeah. You knew it was low budget going into it, though. That's it. Yeah. Just like a lot of festivals that happen around here in California. Like, for example, they had one um, before COVID, pre COVID, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, December, no, not December, I think November, mm-hmm. a couple years back, where Snoop, Too Short, all of them were performing right here in um, mm-hmm. Bolsa Chica. Yeah. Right there. They planned that shit for a year. Yeah. You know? And then you have so much time to advertise it. Advertise it. Like, you get Facebook. You get um, Instagram. You get, like, the flyers that people are posting in clubs and stuff. Like, visually attracting. And they're planning it accordingly. Mm -hmm. Right? That one was just botched. Botched on so many different levels. Because, I mean, and it really just comes down to ego. We talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. ego with last week with Alexis and Richard Ramirez. Mm Mm-hmm. Ultimately, like there was so many red flags, right, for Billy McFarlane to either pull out, delay the experience, try and you know renegotiate something to where they could do the festival, and whether you you know whether you're talking about his blatant blatant ignorance of like ignoring tips and people from from the locals and stuff like that, or like the just ignoring like other people's rules and guidelines when he mentioned Pablo Escobar in the advertisement. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of did this to himself, and it was all because of ego, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, it sucks because, ultimately, I, I think he had good ideas, right? But he just, they're so poorly executed on. 
and I don't know if he was just money hungry and it was all meant to be a scam at the beginning mm-hmm. or he just got too far deep and it was just like, well, I, I can't pull out now or what his thinking was. But at one point or another, sometimes you just got to put your ego inside and admit you've done wrong. And I think that's something I've definitely done in, like, in our job setting. Mm-hmm. You mean sometimes you plan something out for the people that we work with and then it doesn't work out that way. And at one point or another, you just got to be like, all right, well, all right. That's didn't work. Back to the drawing board. Yeah. Or, you know, you give me some other time or we'll try it again another day. Right. But you can't. You can't just make a bunch of empty promises and not follow through. Yeah, especially he had this one major investor. Her her name was Corolla, I think mm-hmm. it was. I only remember that because it's like the car. Like, yeah. It made it easy to remember. Um, and he just kept milk, milking her and milking her and milking her, making giving her the same empty promises he's giving everybody else. You know, he's like, yeah, this festival is going to be amazing. It's going to make you millions and millions. And she keeps throwing money into the fire. You know, keep throwing money into the fire, feeding his ego. You know, it's like a hungry, hungry hippo. Mm. You know, like it just, yeah, you keep grabbing and grabbing and grabbing until you can't grab no more, right? Mm-hmm. And that was that was the whole concept. But there was a theory that, that floated around. But I don't know if we want to get into the theories or if we want to just like jump into something else real quick. Let's get into some of the theories. Okay, so... One of the theories that was floated around was by one of his ex-employees. They said the reason why he started charging people extra, told them to put extra money onto their wristbands and all of this, like most of the money that came in for, for food and everything that wasn't used. It's because he was using it to pay off his American Express debit card. Oh my gosh. <laughs> of course, I feel like that's like, that, that makes sense. You mean, because he was so <laughs> desperate. Like all of this is done out of such desperation. Yeah. They even talk about that in the documentaries that you watch. So that makes sense. I can see it. He was like, it's a major debt. And he yeah. was like, yeah, I got to pay this off somehow, some way, you know? So he was using all of that money to pay off his his debt. Mm-hmm. And so after all of that, you know, he gets, so the FBI comes. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys are too familiar with white collar crime, but mm-hmm. white collar crime basically is when you're committing any kind of wire fraud well, fraud in itself is a white collar crime. You, mm-hmm. you, you're you're stealing um, paintings, like that's a white collar crime. Uh, I, I know it's grand theft, but <laughs> it's white considered white collar because the way stuff it, that doesn't involve killing doesn't right? involve killing. Yeah, yeah like, like it's just it's just like low key doing it until you get caught. Like like we talked about um, Frank Abagnale Jr. Yeah, his crime were white collar crime, right? Right, because right. he just you know forged checked. Uh, forged checks I'm sorry and did a lot of mm-hmm. low forged key, a lot of things <laughs> yeah did a lot of low key things to get himself but he didn't rich. you know he didn't kill anybody he didn't, didn't assault anybody right so that's what Bill is doing I don't know if he was watching Catch Me If You Can I don't know maybe he was maybe. Try, trying to learn something maybe maybe but so he did all that just to pay off credit cards mm-hmm. and he still owed 150,000 that's a different ball game damn and then the FBI starts snooping around because now we're talking about interstate wire fraud because these people are coming from all over the U.S. Mm-hmm. that are going to this festival that are wiring money mm-hmm. to him. To me personally, I think it should have been more international fraud because, like, <laughs> the money's going to the Bahamas. Yeah. Like, you're, you're not just sending the money, like, to some to a, a local place in the U.S. No, the money's going to the Bahamas. Like, it's being wired to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it too because he didn't end up paying a lot of those Bahamian, Bahamians yeah. employees. So he took advantage of like a poorer country. Right. And the people that live there. Right. So that in itself is fucked up. So he did all that. Got wire fraud and all that. So the FBI starts snooping around. 
right? They go to uh, Wark, I think his name is Wark mm-hmm. Weinstein, and they go talk to him, and they're like, I mean, at, at this point, like, I feel like something's gonna get done, mm-hmm. right? Because the FBI snooping, they're interested, so that means there's a chance of him re- realizing his mistakes. Yeah, right. But it didn't seem like it. Nah, it nah, didn't man. Even go like that. He was. I I think as one of the kids too. Look, I, we can't assume a lot of things about his background, but there's some people that they do mischievous things and they never get punished mm-hmm. for them, right? And whether it's by their parents' punishment or by the school or by law itself, they never get punished for the, some of the things that they do. And so they get older and they think, okay, well, because I got away with that, I can get away with anything and not face any repercussions. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it, you know, it got to that point and he still wasn't scared or nervous or thinking about that, it just shows like the the lack of fear that he had in getting in trouble. Right. Cuz he got arrested. Mm-hmm. They did arrest him and he got I think a $3,000 bill, mm-hmm. bill bonds. How big was his fine though? Oh, we'll, we'll get into that later. Okay, you're his right, his yeah. fine wasn't I mean, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't even spell that. <laughs> but you know, like he How got He got, you know, bail and then so he told them that he was going to be living at home with his parents. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, he was out there living in the loft, mm-hmm. luxurious loft, have his friends come over, trying to run another scheme. Yep. But that's a different story. I mean, it's the same story, but that's not that's not why he got locked up. So we're not going to talk into, uh, too much into that one. Mm-hmm. But if you guys really want to know what it is, it's on the, the Netflix series. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the series, the, the documentary. Show, yeah. Just watch it. it. It'll tell you. But he did all that. Left went left on lived on the, in a loft, had a, a a black associate of his asked him, hey, what's it like in prison? Mm-hmm. You know, the guy was like, yeah, it's twenty three one. Twenty three one is when you spend twenty three twenty three hours inside a cell, mm-hmm. one hour out. And he was like, I ain't gonna see none of that. Like he was that cocky. Like we talk about egos, right? Yeah. His egos, like he's just feeding his own ego. He's like, yeah, I have other ideas. Um, but I can't do it because the law says I can't, mm-hmm. but you can again, feeding his ego again. Right. So then, and at, at, at the end of it, they, they finally caught him. They said, nah, bro, you're going to jail. But his, his sentence, it, it annoyed me. His sentencing annoyed me a little bit. Yeah. Six years, bro. Kind of <laughs> weak. And, and you know, because look, we talked about Richard Ramirez a lot more serious crime, but just because it was a, a little bit more serious crime and there's a lot more different things involved. And because this is a white collar crime doesn't mean it's less serious. Mm-hmm. And because we are joking about it again, doesn't mean it's like we're not taking it seriously. Like right. this is still something to be angry about. This is still a crime at the end of the day. Right. And you know, the fact that he did it in so like he didn't only just rob people in America and sometimes a little bit internationally too. But then he you know, the Bahamas, he took advantage of the, that poor group of people. Right. right? And that country and kind of ruined their economy for a little bit. Right. And so it just the amount of like harm that he did, you know, it's, it's just amount, if not the same, that harm that we were talking about the other criminals that we've talked about in the past. Right. And it, it's crazy, too. Like he got to serve such a little time, but then he was fined twenty six million dollars, twenty six million. I'm sure he'll find. Unfortunately, he'll find some sort of scheme to kind of get away with that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so he's he's having practice right now. So yeah, a lot of time to think in jail, right? Yeah. In prison, six years, twenty-three that, to one. That, that's a lot of time to think. So hopefully, whenever he gets released, people are just on top of his ass and make sure he's not doing anything devious. I'm pretty sure he's still gonna 
Uh, yeah, he'll find a way, and I'm just saying hopefully they do catch his ass before it gets to the point I mean, of the fire festival. Hopefully he's on the FBI watch list. Yeah. In a way. But, you know, trap. What, what annoyed me too was, I mean, Ja Rule like, was part of it, and he didn't get no jail time. Mm-mm. None. He claimed that nobody got hurt. Mm-hmm. Yes, a lot of people got hurt, man. Like, first off, they flew into your, your freaking trap, and mm-hmm. if that doesn't <clears> hurt you <throat> emotionally, it will hurt you psychologically for sure because yeah. like, you're, you're paying for... An experience, and you get the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And this is you don't mess around with people's money, right? Right. Like he messed with so many people's money, not just people who are buying and attending the festival, people who are supposed to work it, mm-hmm. set it up, and do other concession stand stuff. So, I don't know. It, it Ja Rule, like from what he says too, because I, there's some interviews too where he kind of just says like, I was just a figurehead. I was just. I, I was, you know, the whole point why he joined with Billy because in order to do this fire media app. They needed someone in the industry that could connect them to people in the industry so that they could, you know, be up for being on this booking app that mm-hmm. would help celebrities, models, athletes get to these parties, get to these weddings, get to these bar mitzvahs, anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so I get his argument there, but like the amount of advertising he was a part of for this festival, you know, he should have definitely faced some repercussions, you know? Right. And like one of the things that, that stood out to me, like I think a year later after that whole fire festival like doc, the docu, documentary came out, right? It was a year later. I was watching the Milwaukee Bucks game, mm. and Ja Rule goes and he goes Oof. to perform. He's like, "Are you ready?" Ain't nobody respond. Nah. Right? And he was like, All right. and he said, "I'ma jinx y'all," because he's like, "I've been hoodwinked, been boozled, led astray." I was like, "Bro, who the fuck led you astray? You led yeah. yourself astray because you you partnered up with him with Magnesis, and then you started fire." So who the fuck led you astray? You're a grown ass man. You made your decisions. Right, and there, there probably there was just like there was a bunch of red flags for Billy McFarland to back out and either delay or cancel the festival. I'm sure there was just as many red flags for Ja Rule to do the same. And it's crazy because like Ja Rule, like sure we don't think of him as like a big role model, but like this dude was a pretty impactful like art artist and musician mm-hmm. for like a good chunk of era that like a lot of people our generation remember him and think fondly of him right but that like 90s yeah that ruined like our perception of child rule just like there's been other artists too not he's not the only exception but there's a lot of other artists too that have kind of ruined their image for different things and he was one of them and it's just like yeah i hope you know i hope he doesn't get booed forever but like he does deserve to get booed every now and then because it's like yo you were you played a hand in it even if it was a small hand you played a big hand in it and Look, that's that's what you're gonna face for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, sometimes all it takes is one little thing to to turn to keep you know, like let's just say we're we we're, we're turning wheels, right? All if one marble falls into that wheel, it locks it, right? Mm-hmm. That shit does not go anywhere. Same concept. Jaru might be that little marble that was literally standing there. I could have just said, "Hey, all right, shit ain't panning out. Let's revamp, right?" But no, nah, he just kept pushing forward. Mm-hmm. So therefore, he was a, as big of a part of this as any of the anybody else who, who I mean, got in trouble. I guess. Yeah. I mean, only Billy got in trouble, but the, the workers—they just work for him. They're trying to collect the paycheck. Right. You know, so they probably got a slap on the wrist. A lot of them did that. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. But Billy, six years. Six for, years, bro. For international scam. Think about that for a sec. I mean, then again, though, Frank, Frank Abagnale Jr. received, what, 10 years and only served four and then worked the rest for the... Yeah, he had to work for a bunch of people. Maybe we see Billy do something similar. I don't know. Too early to tell. He's a millennial. He won't. Nah, he won't. you're right. 
But if, if you know, I don't condone any violence, but if you do see Billy in the street, maybe, you know, rough him up a little bit. But <laughs> he lives in New York. Yeah. When, it might happen. Yeah. But he he is being sued as of today to this day. A bunch of lawsuits. And he's, yeah. I think he's forever Up to $100 million. Mm-hmm. So those people who, let's just say if I spent $5,000 on that whole concert, I'm liable to make a million or two. That's cool. I mean, shit. I ain't mad at it, though. I ain't mad at it either. <laughs> he's going to have to work the rest of his life to pay that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, he might run another Ponzi scheme <laughs> and make that, but, and then, or... And, well, and, yeah, and just to tie a bow on it, like, no matter what he does or what idea he has, even if it's clean and, like, everything's by the books... That's not gonna. It's not gonna fly. Like people aren't gonna believe him because it's like the mm-hmm. boy who cried wolf, right? Mm-hmm. He kept lying. He kept lying. He kept lying. And then when he finally did to tell the truth, everyone's like, "I don't believe you. Fuck you." And that's <laughs> could be what happened to Billy. And so he's probably gonna have to work a regular. I don't. I don't think he'll ever work a regular job like a McDonald's type of deal. But you know, he'll have to work regular jobs and can't be like you know pitching any ideas because people are just not gonna trust him. Well, I feel like he'll find a way around it. I mean, if you saw it at, at the end of documentary on Netflix. He had his friend Frank sending invitations to things that were unattainable, which, like, for the Met Gala, mm. you got to be, like, you got you to gotta be invited by the person running the Met Gala. Mm-hmm. And the guy was like, oh, I have tickets for the Met Gala. Like, you know, like, he'll find a way to get somebody else to do something for him. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like you said, smooth talking. Yeah. Right? It, it's all about, like, how you use your words to, con- to convince somebody that they're doing this for them mm-hmm. rather than... Nah, bro, you fucking your life over for me. I'm gonna get rich off of you, mm-hmm. but you just won't see it coming. Right. You know, kind of thing. So he'll find a way. Yeah. But the the moral of the story, guys, don't be crooks. Don't be crooks. Don't take advantage of people. Don't lie. Don't tell people, hey, I'm gonna do one thing and do another. Yep. Cause I mean I mean, I'm not the most honest person in the world, but I do try. You know, I try mm-hmm. to tell the truth as, as much as I could, cause you know, if I die tomorrow, they gon they're not gonna know me as a liar. Right. There so, you go. With that being said, what do you got to do, Noah? So be sure to like, subscribe, follow the podcast on whatever platform we're listening on, whether it's Spotify, Google Play. We're on Apple Podcasts now. Mm-hmm. And be sure to check out True 100 Radio 2. Hey. Check them out at tru100radio.com. Shout out to them for having us on their platform. Other than that, Mac, another fun episode in the books. Thank you guys for listening. Hey, have a good one. Be safe. Wash your hands, wash your ass, wear your mask. Have a good one.